Hello, I'm John Gonzalez, and we're talking to you from the True FM online world headquarters in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Jack DeRoy, John's law partner. We're here to talk about legal issues that confront most people. We are lawyers with the B-Hall Law Group. That's B like boy, E-H-A-L, B-Hall Law Group in Columbus. You can find us on the web. We are primarily business lawyers who also handle trial work, all civil, divorce work, probate and estate, and significant personal injury. Jack, today um, let's talk about termination of marriage. But before we get to that, I'd like to remind our audience that we provide this podcast as a service to the community. While we try to provide quality information, we're not giving legal advice you can rely on for your particular situation. Why is that? Because legal advice has to be tailored to the circumstances of each case. Nothing we say in a podcast can substitute for the advice you should seek from an attorney in a private meeting if you have a legal problem. So today we're going to talk about uh, termination of marriage, and there are three ways to terminate a marriage in Ohio, annulment, divorce, or disillusion. There's also a fourth way. I had a client. He just ran away to another continent. I'm serious. When you think about annulment, a lot of people are um, surprised to hear that that's a legal basis for termination of marriage because it also has a religious basis. Well, sure. In the Catholic Church, the process is annulment, and the whole purpose of the annulment is to find if there was a basis for the marriage in the first place. I went through the process, and as a sideline, I used to kind of look down at it before I went through it, but it was a meaningful process. And before you and I prepared for this podcast, I have to tell you, I did not know that there was a civil counterpart. There is. And so if a person is seeking an annulment of their marriage, they could do it for a couple of specific reasons. One, they married uh, and they were underage. If they, uh, at the time, had married somebody that was already married. If you marry somebody who's mentally incompetent, which some people getting a divorce, Phil, is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the mistake they made initially. Right. Uh, if you marry and it's uh, if the marriage is based on fraud, force, or interestingly enough, if your marriage was never consummated. I uh, don't see a lot of case law uh, on uh, annulments and uh, have not found an attorney yet that has uh, successfully prosecuted an annulment for termination of marriage. Well, looking at those items that you've just cited, I would guess that those are probably some of the same factors that the church uses. You would think so. So the most common way to terminate a marriage then would be by divorce or disillusion. Divorce and uh, disillusion are civil lawsuits. Uh, Everything we're talking about today is statutory, meaning it's written down in code in the law. It's complex and confusing at times, but everything is written down, what the judge has to do, what the parties have to do to have a divorce or disillusion. But in this lawsuit, the judge divides marital assets and establishes custody and visitation for children. Well, let me stop you for a second. When you say lawsuit, you must necessarily be talking about a divorce as opposed to a dissolution. Both are eventually uh, lawsuits. So the divorce uh, starts out by filing a lawsuit, and it goes directly to a judge where after possibly a year, maybe two or longer, the court has a final hearing and divides the assets, and if children are involved, deals with the child issues. Dissolution is different. In a dissolution, everything is agreed to by the parties up front, 
then it's filed with the court. And the court's role is simply to have the parties acknowledge that they've agreed to everything and that they're satisfied with their agreement and grant the dissolution. A dissolution hearing is literally no more than five minutes and five questions. All right. So a great difference in terms of complexity and time between the two. So when does one opt for a divorce? When does one opt for a dissolution? Well, when you think about the complexity of a marriage, oftentimes it really comes down to can the parties still agree after they've decided or one or the other has decided to terminate the marriage? Because all of the issues are exactly the same. Uh, You have to divide the debts. The assets have to be divided. The children issues have to be taken care of and a plan developed for the court. But if you're in a situation where you believe your spouse may be guilty of financial misconduct, then a divorce gives you an avenue to have a restraining order placed on the uh, assets of the marriage. And so those are protected. Uh, If you think your spouse is going to, say, terminate a life insurance policy, the court can prevent that. Also, if there's been abuse or neglect or failure of support, those issues can be dealt with very quickly in a divorce setting through temporary orders. So not every case, just because the parties might agree, can be a disillusion, but most cases uh, you can do a disillusion. It really depends on on your ability to knock out these issues on your own without counsel. And I assume that that's asking a lot for, let's say, the average 10 to 15-year marriage with two to three kids. It may be, but what I find is um, a lot of uh, the people, especially in the middle class, don't have the funds to litigate a divorce. And if one or the other goes to an attorney seeking a dissolution, what I do is I put all the paperwork together based on one party's thought process of what the other party may agree to and what the law requires. Then they would share it with their spouse and see if they can come to an agreement. I always encourage my client, who's one, either the husband or the, or the wife, to tell the other party to go see their own lawyer and go over the dissolution paperwork to get independent advice. Lawyers can only represent one side or the other on a dissolution. If the parties agree to everything, and that includes uh, complex matters like um, dividing a pension plan, splitting up a business, you know, those types of uh, asset issues, then it still can be a disillusion. And I think better for just the emotional aspect of this type of a process. Well, I'd like to talk about the emotional aspect in a minute. But first, let's talk about assets. Generally, let's talk about how assets are divided in any marriage. So the concept that you start with is what is marital and what is non-marital. So marital is easy to think about. Once you get married, any asset that you develop after that time becomes a marital asset. It'll be divided equitably. Really, we think of equally, but not necessarily 50-50, but equitably. So let's say uh, two 19-year-olds get married. They both get nice jobs with corporations. They have pension plans. 20 years later, they decide to get a divorce or disillusion. Those pension plans are probably marital property because they were funded during the marriage. Any debts, any houses, any stock, boats, cars, anything acquired during the marriage would be marital. The premarital property, and this is where a lot of the fights are, 
might be something like a house that one spouse owned before marriage. That might be premarital. Any stocks or bonds that you might have held might be premarital. And there's a concept in the law that lawyers love, which is called tracing premarital property. And I, I assume we don't mean tracing it on paper. What do we mean tracing by tracing it, it? Locating it, going back in time, and finding out where that money came from. A perfect example is if uh, two young people get married and one person on their house that they buy takes premarital money, say $20,000, and puts the down payment down. Again, fast forward 15 or 20 years, and they're getting a disillusion, and they're selling that house. If the lawyer can trace that money back to a premarital account, then that person would keep that 20000 hmm. Then the house, being the rest of it marital, would be divided equitably. So uh, very, very interesting concepts and in, in a, um, a lot of litigation over it. Another premarital asset might be, or we might call it non-marital, would be a gift that you received or an inheritance. Or if you're in a personal injury accident, you get compensated. As long as those funds don't get mixed up with marital funds, they could they could keep their non-marital status. And in case of a divorce or disillusion, can be um, can be kept by the spouse that had them. You've talked about I think everything except for that one phrase that always incurs the ire of the husband, which is the word spousal support. And I think this is where you might find it appropriate to. Explain why you said assets aren't always divided equally but equitably. Can you tie those two notions together? We can, and let's back up a minute. So either spouse, and it doesn't mean uh, male or female, could have a support obligation. The first one you would think of is if you have children, you have to, as parents, support them until they're adults. Uh, usually, if there's a income inequity in a marriage, the spouse with the higher income would pay child support to the other spouse. That support is dictated by guidelines. Okay. Child support guidelines are written into the code, into the law, but based upon how much each parent has time-wise with the child, that support obligation may be modified. So, but it starts off with a readily calculable equation. Yes. If you give... Your attorney, your uh, the income levels for uh, both spouses, and some additional information about health insurance. Those uh, guidelines can be calculated. Then you have spousal support. This is the support that one spouse gives to the other, and there are no guidelines on this support. And in my experience, each domestic judge tackles this issue a little differently. The concept here is that after all of the assets have been divided, the parties during their marriage had established a certain standard of living. The court will now look at that standard of living and determine if one spouse needs to pay the other spouse compensation to equalize the standard of living. And it may only be for a few years. Uh, maybe if one spouse needs to go back to college to get a degree because they put it off during the marriage or while, while they were raising children. Permanent spousal support could attach for a marriage of long duration, which, by the way, the law defines as more than 20 years. So you do have situations still where one spouse may be paying another spouse uh, spousal support permanently. Let's get back to child support because I hear about guardian ad litems. Why don't you tell our audience what that person does? 
Guardian ad litem provides an essential role in a case. It also greatly increases the cost. So if you and your spouse are fighting over uh, custody of a child, a guardian ad litem will be appointed. And that's an, an attorney that practices in your county that the judge and both lawyers in the case uh, know and respect and uh, will basically look out for the child's best interest. Uh, we'll interview the schools, the teachers, the, uh, the child's friends, the parents, and then report back to the court on what is the best situation for custody. It may not be custody. Maybe it's just simple visitation. Both parents remain custodial parents, but where is the child going to spend most of its time? So if you're not fighting over the basic concepts, which I think are articulated either by statute or local rule, am I right? You're right, but in my experience is, is if the couple comes in and tells the court, we're going to keep joint custody and mom's going to have the children during the week and dad's going to have the children every other weekend, the court is not going to second-guess that and is not going to appoint a guardian ad litem to look over that. It's only if the parents can't agree to what they're doing with their children will the guardian ad litem be appointed. And the parties generally split that cost. And there, I was referring to local court rule, but the basics of what should happen in child custody is spelled out in local court rule, am I right? It is, but there is so much discretion given our uh, divorce judges that if you can't work it out and a guardian is appointed, then that guardian ad litem's opinions are are going to... um, uh, be given a great deal of weight with the judges. And I would imagine that's a source of frustration for both sides because now you have another voice entering into the dispute. You do, and and a lot of parents um, take great pains to be very, very nice to the guardian ad litems, but a uh, little bit of advice, they know what's going on. They are going to not just listen to what you say, but they're going to watch what you do. And I always advise my clients that during uh, the divorce, your actions are going to speak loudly. Let's try to come to a a simple summary. When do you seek divorce? When do you seek disillusion? Seek disillusion whenever you can would be my first uh, fallback position. A divorce may only be appropriate in terms of financial misconduct or protecting assets during the process or in uh, situations involving um, support uh, with children and even um, debt allocation. Most often, parties can agree by disillusion to all of these issues. I've never heard anybody walk away from a divorce saying, wow, what a good procedure that was. That was fabulous. Why is divorce such a taxing and grueling process? Divorce, I don't know if it's the process or just the emotions at the time bring out the worst in people. People that you will see in a divorce can't uh, stand to be together for a minute with their spouse. And this might be a person that they've been married to for 20 or 30 years, but it seems like during this process, they can't uh, handle the emotion of being anywhere close to them or even getting into an agreement. The parties to a divorce tend to not like the judge, not like their lawyers, and um, unfortunately, uh, the pressure, usually because of finances, is great. Not a good situation. I always tell my clients that are getting a divorce, don't even get involved in another relationship for at least a year because you need some time to heal, to get back to yourself and who you are. You probably have known people that have been through the process. Is that how you see it too? Well, I went through the process, and I'm not happy to say that it 
did not exactly bring out the best in myself. So all of those things that you talked about were part of what I went through. And I don't say that with any pride. I mean, it wasn't a good time in my life. But I think the more you can try to impart some motherhood to a client about what's happening and, and how that client needs to conduct himself, I think the, the better you're serving your client. One of the things that I discuss with my clients is we're looking at this disillusion or divorce in six months. Is it good for you? Because they may not be thinking right. Some parties just want out. And they'll do whatever they can just to get out of the marriage and terminate the marriage. Others don't want out, and they just want to fight for the sake of keeping this going as long as they can. So you really have to keep up with your client and make sure that uh, the agreement that you strike for them ultimately benefits them in the long run. So we always like to finish our podcast with the question, what's the takeaway? So John, tell us what's the takeaway for somebody who's thinking about going through this, I hate to say it, terrible process. The takeaway is try to act like a reasonable person. Communicate with your spouse about the issues. If there are legitimate disputes, use the court process for that. But otherwise, follow the advice of your domestic lawyer. They've been through the process. They know what the law is going to require in the end. And uh, try to get out of it in a healthy way. Great advice. John, thanks for explaining to our audience what the process is all about. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you need individual advice, they can always contact us through our law firm. And I would suggest to anybody even thinking about the process of divorce to talk to lawyers. Our website is behallaw.com. B-E-H-A-L-L-A-W.com. Thank you.